guys, welcome back to Up Close. We are your hosts. I'm Tori. I'm Chad. This is my cute husband. Um, handsome is another definition cutie, of that. Cutie, handsome. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just all the words of affirmation, you guys. We're, we're loving we're that love that. language. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but today we're going to be talking about modern day evangelism. And we're actually pretty opinionated on it, just in terms of how people come to faith, how we should share our faith, when we should be sharing our faith, what's appropriate, what's not. How hard to throw your Bible at somebody. Oh. You know, all the questions are going to be answered today. I, I'm actually really, you know, conf conflicted on this topic. So, you know, I'm, you may have heard, I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't become a Christian until I was 22, so much so that I was actually a pretty staunch atheist mm -hmm. to a point where I didn't exactly persecute Christians, but I didn't like them. And I would argue with them as much as I could. And so it, my coming to Christ moment was actually so different than most because it wasn't until someone who had been in my life for several years said, hey, are you interested in coming to church? And I had had several people invite me to church at, at, to that point in my life. But there, there was a guy named Anthony, and he, he had been my best friend for a few years, and he finally said, hey, man, do you want to come to church with me? Because he saw how low I was in a certain point in life. And I remember I said to him, I was like, yeah, I need something positive in my life today. And I went, and it's that famous cliche line of, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I knew that he had invested into my life personally. I knew he cared about me. And I knew that he would only want to help me. And so I went. And, but there were people that did invite me. They didn't know me. They didn't invest in my life. They just tried to get me in the door. And I was actually really turned off from that. And so my opinions on modern-day evangelism kind of go from, yes, we need to profess the Word of God, but also is profession just words or is it actions? And I'm just excited to unpack that. We have York yeah. Moore with us today. He's published so many books on this topic. He's the head of, the, of one of the largest college ministries called InterVarsity, and he's gonna be helping us unpack this whole idea of a modern day evangelism and, and what that looks like. So why don't you give the audience a little bit about your information and how, you know, your story. We already know a little bit about it, but I know the audience will love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, it's great to be with you. I would say, first of all, I'm, I'm the least likely person to be doing what I'm doing. In fact, I grew up uh, homeless on the streets of Detroit. Uh, my parents were involved with a number of things that uh, led us to homelessness. And um, when I finally got off of the streets, found my way to the greatest university in America, the University of Michigan. Go hey. Blue. Go Spons. Hey. We won't talk about what happened with OS OSU, but uh, <laughs> and nevertheless, it's a great university. And um, when I went to the University of Michigan, I made it my ambition to figure out if we could have meaning in life without God. Now, growing up when we weren't homeless, we had a sign in the front of our house that said, the Moors, the atheists, and we had a barrel on the side of our house for burning Bibles. So wow. we weren't your garden variety atheists. And so Dang. when I went to Michigan, I took it upon myself to persecute Christians, write papers against Christians. Uh, my nickname in, in my fraternity was Satan because I did those things. Uh, and it wasn't until I actually had a, a really a miraculous encounter during an attempted suicide that I came to find my faith in Christ. So I literally am the least likely person, uh, you know, if there was a yearbook, the least likely person to be a minister, the least likely person to be on a, a show talking about evangelism, that would be me. Wow. You're like the modern day Paul. Saul. Saul. Yeah, well, you know yeah. what I mean. Man, I was like voted least likely to be the class clown, but you got something, you know, wow. <laughs> Your superlative is off the charts. So what was that transition for you like? Like, what were you experiencing? Did you did you feel almost um, 
um, wrong during that time? You know, so, so you persecuted Christians and then you had to come to Christ moment. And then how did you look back on your time uh, as a person who wasn't fond of Christians? Well, it's interesting because my encounter with Jesus came during an attempted suicide. So the question is, why did I attempt suicide? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, upset or anything like that. I just came to the conclusion that if there is no God and we die and we cease to exist, it doesn't matter if I live a day or a hundred million years, that's it. And so mm-hmm. I actually decided before I killed myself, I, I was going to interview as many Christians as possible. Now, I had read the Bhagavad Gita, the, Up- the Upanishads, the Quran. Mm-hmm. I'd look into other religions, but I knew that the Bible and Christians said crazy things, like it's appointed <laughs> unto us once to die and then to face judgment. So I thought, if I can just rule Jesus out, there's no God, there's no Jesus, then I'll be all right. Because the worst case scenario is I kill myself, I wake up on the other side, and God sends me to hell. And so I, I actually went on this interviewing spree and uh, sat down with as many Christians as I could and asked them why they believed in God. And the answers that they gave me were so incredibly bad that they actually helped me it, make oh, my decision. No. And so I decided to kill myself. I was sitting in a, um, a movie theater watching The Little Mermaid on the screen. I know that that dates me quite a bit. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was also praying during that time, asking God, if you're there, show yeah. yourself to me. And uh, really didn't have any kind of you know, indication that God was real or involved in my life or there were good reasons to believe in God. So I got my, I, I dropped my fiance off at the time and I got wow. my, my little red sports car going down the freeway about 90 miles an hour. And my plan was to smash my car on the viaduct near my home. And as I got that twisted sense of courage up uh, to take my life, fully intending to kill myself, I aimed my car at the viaduct and the presence and the power of Jesus filled the car. Now, I, I don't know that I would have used those words back mm-hmm. then, but I had a supernatural encounter with God as God took that wheel and steered me to safety. See, oh I'm the goodness. original wow. Jesus take the wheel story. I should be oh getting royalty checks. I haven't Is it seen Carrie any Underwood? <laughs> yes. I think we need to get some royalties. Yeah, we yeah, do. I'll make a call. <laughs> now, but the, the last part of that story is that, you know, that encounter got me home. Wow. And I fell asleep in a, a cold sweat. I woke up on Christmas morning. And for the first time in my life, I prayed a prayer of desperation. I said, God, if that was you last night, I need to know right now because I'm still going to kill myself. I walked into the next room. I have uh, four brothers and a couple of them were home from another campus. And one of them had brought the, uh, the poem, Footprints in the Sand, large picture frame. And it's just a story about how God's involved in our life, caring for us even when we're unaware of it. And as I, as I read this, um, this poem, I actually heard God speak. And God said three things that changed my forever. He said, number one, I do exist. Number two, I'm the reason why you exist. And the third thing blew me away because if it was just those two data points, and I was a philosopher at the time, I was an honor student at Michigan studying philosophy. Those are the only two things you really have to have. That God, God created you, that you exist for him. The third thing blew me away. He said, number three, I'm the one who kept you from killing yourself last night, wow. which meant that God knew my name. He was involved in my life and he cared enough to actually interject in my story. And so in tears, I ran into the other room and I said, God, if you can take my life and make anything out of it from this day forward, I'm going to live for you. Wow. A little funny addendum at the end of the story. I ran back into the other room in tears. I started calling everybody that I could, including my fraternity brothers. So you have to get the picture here. Yeah. Here's Satan on Christmas morning wow. calling his fraternity brothers. And they hear on the other side of the phone, hey, guess what? 
I'm living for God. I don't, you know, I'm living. They're like, hello, is this Satan? You know, so oh my, that, gosh. I, my conversion story was highly unusual. Wow. Wow. Man. I have chills. Yeah, I definitely have goosebumps. I remember my conversion story in just a short sense. I was having a day where I couldn't escape uh, my own sadness because I definitely struggled with the more depression side of things. And I was 22. is my last semester of undergrad. And I'm at our oversized library and, you know, it's like eight floors, everything. I'm on the second floor where there's like, you know, the, the computers. And at the time, I really lived my life off of like quotes and motivation where if like if I saw that someone else had powered through a circumstance of life, like a like a Teddy Roosevelt, I don't know, JFK, whatever it may be, I would look up quotes on that specific subject that I was struggling with. And I was feeling really weak at that point in my life. And I put in quotes about feeling weak. And then a verse popped up for my first time, and it was 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. And it was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I started, I burst into tears in the library in front of everybody. And there's a pool of water of tears on the desk. And I remember cool. saying, to my, uh, saying to God now, but at the time I said, God, if you're real, help. Mm-hmm. And that was, is, I, I remember that moment. It was January 11th of 2013. And I've never been the same. And so, like, what has life been like for you after? Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to talk about evangelism. And one of, the, one of the most significant reasons why we need to share our faith is because there's nothing more compelling than a transformed life. Right. Your story, my story, the people whose lives have been touched by Jesus, it's just, it's a, it's a metamorphosis. It's a right. transformation. And, uh, you know, my experience every single day after that for some time was so disruptive, not only to myself, but to my family, my friends, my fraternity members. When God gets a hold of you and he really does transform you from the inside out, you become a new creature, the scriptures tell us. Yeah. And that's not just a metaphor. It's, it's literally there is a transformation that happens. You know, I, I would say that there were some things that that immediately uh, fell into place. You know, I was a womanizer. I was never faithful. I was a, a heavy drinker, uh, constantly cursing, uh, manipulative, stealing. I was a, I was a pretty bad guy. I, I earned that title, Satan, not only because I persecuted Christians. I was a pretty bad guy. But I'll tell you, many of those problems immediately disappeared from my life. And then there were some that I struggle with to this very day. And so, you know, your quote, you know, God's grace is sufficient for you. That's something that we, we, we experience right away. And it's also something that we rely on and live into as we follow Christ. But there's no denying when a person's life been, has been touched by Jesus, they're transformed for eternity. Wow. This is um, a little off topic, but it's funny. Right before we got on the phone with you, just in regards to evangelism and sharing our faith, we were watching a little video and this guy was sharing how if we don't share, you know, people are so offended nowadays at Christians sharing their faith, et cetera. Like, oh, you're just trying to shove it down my face, all of these things. And it's like, well, no, if we believe Jesus exists, that means we believe in a hell. And isn't it the least selfish thing to share that with you? It's like if a house was on fire and then we said, well, I'm just going to let it burn because it's not my problem. You know, and I think about what you're doing in evangelism. I think sharing the good news is the least selfish thing that we can do. It's just how do we do it in a way that's received well and not quote unquote offensive? No, that's right. Now, you know, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship is one of the largest college ministries in America. 
And we've been doing what we've been doing for 80 years, but we have never seen as many students coming to faith as we're seeing during these days, during the days of late millennials, early Gen Z. And, you know, there's just something about that, right? So like we can, we can think about, you know, the difficulty, the struggle, the awkwardness of evangelism. But when you see large numbers of people turning to Jesus and their lives transformed, it's hard to argue about the goodness of about that. Right. When you see people set free from addiction, from anxiety, from depression, from cutting, because their lives have been touched by Jesus. I mean, that's that's hard to argue against. Hmm. Well, so, you know, I, colleges are definitely not a, a place where Christians are just running rampant, unless it's like a, a Christian school, you know. It's something where I feel like colleges are really trying to um, and this is my own feeling. Colleges are really trying to attack Christians with a lot of the agendas they're 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 throwing around. And so, how would you say InterVarsity is not only trying to combat what colleges are throwing at students, but also what atheist students are are walking around in? Like, how how do you kind of double up and like kind of love the college student, but also encourage the Christians that are there as well? Like, how do you love the atheists, but also encourage the the Christians that are there and keep yeah. them motivated? Well, it's not just InterVarsity. We're, we'll get into talking about a coalition that we've started called Every Campus. We have 150 partners involved in this coalition. So it's not just InterVarsity, but across the board with our friends and crew and Chi Alpha and Young Life and Circuit Riders and the list goes on and on. What we're actually seeing is a, a, just a, a massive interest in the spirituality of Jesus. Hmm. Now that doesn't sound like it corresponds to what you read about on the news or what you see about, you know, see on television. And there really is kind of two worlds. There are two worlds going on. There's the world of the university itself with the administrators and the faculty, and that world's increasingly difficult. But we're finding a wide open door for, you know, among students. When you ask how do we actually love them? How do we actually share the good news? In the, in the New Testament, Paul's first letter that he wrote was a book called First Thessalonians. And in the very first chapter, uh, in verse 4, he says this. He says, We know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Mm -hmm. And so part of the way that we in InterVarsity and our, our coalition partners are loving this generation of students is not only in word. Right. We're proclaiming the gospel. We're doing evangelism, but we're also doing it in the power of the spirit with full conviction. That means hearts that are um, committed to the good of those people that we're sharing the good news with. And I think regardless of whether you're an atheist or the growing number of nons, right, the, the non generation is growing. Um, when you ex experience people around you like you like you did who are committed to you because of that full conviction, full of the spirit, who are sharing the gospel not only in words, but also in power, that's almost irresistible, hmm. right? To experience that love in that kind of holistic way. Now, when the gospel goes forward only in words, that's where we have the hypocrisy. That's where you experience some of that shallowness and just kind of come to church and, you know, those kinds of things. But when we love people with everything that we've got and we're involved in their lives and the mess of their lives, there's just something almost irresistible about that. Hmm. And how, so I, my background's a little different. You know, I grew up in the church and then in college had a phase where I was like mad at God and then had a come to Jesus moment towards the end of college. But I am from like the Bible Belt. So for me, it was more of a odd thing to meet someone who didn't believe in Jesus. 
but the problem there were, were Christians who just weren't on fire. There was an apathy. Yeah. Um, and so how, speaking to the Christians out there, do we get them from an apathetic belief to going out and really sharing the gospel? How do we ignite that flame? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I would say where InterVarsity and our partners are growing fastest, where the faith is most vibrant, are the parts of the United States that are long, long since have forgotten about the gospel. Southern California is what our largest region, New York, New Jersey. Wow. In the Bible belts of the country, it's, it's much, much more difficult because there is still this memory mm-hmm. of abuse or neglect or hypocrisy. There are still these memories of where the church had power that it doesn't any longer. And so there's a reaction against the gospel in many of the Bible belt parts of the country. But I I would say something very interesting is happening. In fact, many of us in this 150 plus coalition called Every Campus, we we believe that we're actually in the early days of revival in America. And we're seeing the gospel come in power like we never have before. And so when revival comes to a nation, it starts with the house of God. It starts with the people of God who've grown into that Mm-hmm. apathetic, resistant, that hard heart. Yeah. And what we're actually seeing, our partners in Circuit Riders are one of our big partners in every campus. They're seeing young people on fire for God. And when you see a young person burn with the Holy Spirit, when they're on fire for God, well, I'll tell you, this, it's, that's contagious. And we're seeing that across the country. There's a fire that's being unleashed in America amongst our youth. This summer, my friend Nick Hall and I and, and many of us in the, the Every Campus Coalition will put together an event called Together 2020. I helped out with Together 2016, Together 2018. We had 300,000 people on the Washington Mall in 2016. We're hoping for at least half a million this summer on June 20th. I almost went to that. <laughs> What's that? I, I, I almost went in 2016, but I couldn't because of a previous engagement. But it's crazy. You just said that. And I was like... I was almost there. That's really cool. Anyways. (laughs) That's where every campus was actually born, was at Together 2016. But there's something about, you know, just in a six-month window in the last school year, over a quarter of a million young people, primarily between the ages of 18 and 22, college-age students, a quarter of a million people gathered under the name of Jesus at strategic events all over the country. Now, you'd have to go back to 1972 to a historic event called the Jesus Explo to see a time in American history where you had that many young people gathering in the name of Christ. So there's something unusual going on that I think is going to bring revival to those Bible Belt locations, but also throughout the country. So so what would you say to someone who's either watching or listening to someone who is a Christian but doesn't you know, doesn't really know much about this evangelism stuff or doesn't really maybe give it the respect it deserves or think it's a place for the church to be doing that. And, you know, what role do you think they should have in, in becoming a part of this revival? And, and how do they do that if, if, yeah. if they feel that that's something they want to do? Well, we're turning the page on the age of millennials. Millennials are now graduating. The oldest millennial or the, the youngest millennials are now around 20 years of age. And so we're welcoming Gen Z or the iGen, right? So you were born after roughly 1995. You're kind of in that, you know, iGen, Gen Z uh, kind of demographic. And what's, what's really exciting and sad at the same time is that Gen Z takes ideas about faith. They're open to ideas about faith. But they see evangelism not nearly not merely as something that's awkward, but they see it as an injustice, 
right? So that most Gen, Gen Z, when you actually talk to them about proselytization, conversion, evangelism, they see it actually as an oppression. And so that's going to be something that is really, really going to be a challenge for the church as we deal with how do we actually evangelize and motivate this generation to evangelize. Also, the, the idea that 47% of, of Gen Z are non-white. And so we have the largest generation, and it's only getting larger, and the most ethnically diverse generation in American history. And they are insisting on uh, integration, inclusion, those kinds of themes, but they also see evangelism as, a, as, a, as an oppression, as an evil. And so I'm, I'm not going to lie that the challenges for evangelism are only going to get harder and harder, particularly for those people who are just kind of on the fringe, on the border. But those who are committed Christians don't really see the need for evangelism. And I think it's because they're only looking at evangelism as a, a matter of ideas. Yeah. Like if we can just get the ideas of the Bible in people. But again, let's go back to that transformed life. Right. So I, I was uh, I've been preaching around the country all, all semester and we're coming to the end of the semester conferences and on campuses when students see other students give their lives to Christ and they come out of eating disorders or depression or suicide or giving themselves to all kinds of things and they see the joy and they see the transformation. There's again, there's something irresistible and compelling about seeing a transformed life. Right. And so maybe maybe there's somebody who's who's watching this and thinking, well, I've never shared my faith. And the question is, why not? Why hold back the thing that you have that can actually complete somebody's story? Yeah. That can actually give them that next um, uh, the next chapter of the story that God has written for them, right? So all so oftentimes we think about evangelism as merely saving people from the hell to come. And we forget that evangelism actually also saves people from the hell that's now. That they're yeah. in, yeah. Right? Wow. No, that's Thing. so good. I love that. I remember um, I, I have this men's group I'm a part of, and we each take turns teaching on different weeks. And I was actually going to be teaching one week on the dangers of evangelism mm -hmm. if it's done in, inappropriately. You know, and, and I remember uh, the guys are sitting there, and I sit down, and I have my mm -hmm. little note cards ready that I'm ready to go in on this. And I say, I, I put the cards down. I said, you know what, guys, stand up. We're going to go outside and we're going to evangelize. And as I went to move, I looked back and I, I, I have their faces locked in my memory where mm. I, I saw the fear in their eyes. And I said, guys, I'm just kidding. But you know that feeling that you have right now? That's what mm. I want to stop. That's what I want to talk about, that uncomfortable feeling. And so because I do think that there's such a terrible stigma around evangelism, especially for well, I mean, I'm just making an assumption here, but especially for those who are comfortable Christians, whereas if you tend to, the loudest voices in evangelism that I hear are people that have gone radical transformations. But mm -hmm. why are those people that maybe have lived an, an easier life, I guess, uh, object, uh, subjectively speaking, why are those voices maybe not as loud or maybe why is the desire to evangelize or the, the desperation not there as much? You know, I have three children and uh, <clears throat> my oldest is 20 years of age and he's living on campus at the greatest university in America, <laughs> Go Blue. And um, I'm so proud of him. Uh, he, he actually chose to uh, pledge a fraternity, uh, both because he loves the fraternity and I love the fraternity world as well. And so I encouraged him to do that. But he's going into this fraternity to lead lead young guys to Christ. Wow. And uh, he was raised in a Christian home. He went to a Christian school. He was taught the Bible from an early age. And wouldn't it be, isn't that the better testimony, right? Yeah. Like my testimony is like the consolation prize. Like 
Mine is the terrible testimony yeah. where I was almost ki- I almost killed myself and I was a womanizer and I was a drunk and these kinds of things and my parents you know raised me in homelessness. Really, the better testimony is I was raised in a Christian home. Yes. My parents loved me with the love of Christ. Yeah. They taught me the Word of God from my youth, and because of that, I don't have these scars. Right. I don't have these doubts, these fears. Right. Not that to say that we don't have you know challenges. But my, my son, I think, is a great testimony of how you can receive all of those blessings wow. and then still live a life that's on point for Christ. Yeah, I love that because I remember I would, my friends would hear my story and they would sometimes be like, oh, man, I, I kind of wish I had that testimony. I wish yeah. I had that story. I'm like, no, like, like don't be ashamed of you. You're exactly what, what God is intending, you know, yeah. for people to yeah. be raised in the faith, to be, you know, with parents that stay together in a community that loves each other and serves you. Like, this is what God intended. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want that baggage, man. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's good. That's so good. There was I something it. I thought about, and this was, I feel like I'm kind of in my head in my college days right now. And I grew up in the faith, but I was kind of having this season of wandering per se. And there was a girlfriend of mine, I was on the dance team and she exuded the love and the joy and the peace of God. And she was that light. So when we say there's a fire and you come on campus and there's just something intoxicating about it, you don't know what it is. But at the same point in time, that light exposes darkness. And yeah. so when I was around Jenny, I was, I recognized the light. I knew Shout where the light, Jenny. hey Jenny, <laughs> um, I knew where the light came from, but it also exposed the darkness in me. And so mm-hmm. she planted seeds that she never knew. I mean, she, she knows now because now we're friends and she lives in LA, which is funny. But back in the day, it was like, she had no idea that she was, you know, speaking into my life because she didn't see the fruit of it in college. Um, but like you said, it's just like, we have to be so on fire that that light shines no matter what, whether you're preaching the gospel or not, I always say your life, um, should be the gospel. Like if someone never reads the Bible, your life should be the Bible for them. Amen. That's good. So good. It makes me think of one of my, one of my favorite verses. So I don't know if you know this, but I work in the modeling industry and it's been a place where I've done what I hope is a, a good ministry where I've, I've lived a, um, a decent life of faith inside of an industry that isn't always welcoming and encouraging of, of my faith. But I remember there's a scripture that always stood out to me in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 55, 11. And I think there's some previous ones that are really great too, but it says, I send my word out and it never returns to me void. It always accomplishes what I've sent it for. And that always took the pressure off of me when I ever, I was attempting to either evangelize or, you know, honestly, without the word evangelism, just share my faith, you know, share the good news, you know, and, um, and I feel like it took the pressure off of me and my own words and my own acts because it's going to accomplish what God sends it for. And I'm just the tool that's, that is being sent through. and, And that took a lot of pressure off of me. And I, hopefully that'll encourage other people too. Yeah. 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 That's great. And it's exciting to hear your perspective on the modeling uh, industry. It's the same thing in several, you know, you know, fashion, advertisement. There's there's these kind of iconic industries where Christians kind of don't dare to tread. And, you know, my philosophy is that there isn't a single place in our lives, in our society, in our country that shouldn't have the name of Christ being named. Yeah. There are no secular and sacred places where Christians shouldn't go into the film industry or the modeling industry. And to let our light shine bright in the, those kinds of places, like the modeling industry, like you're in, where, where there's darkness and struggle, where, where it's hard and difficult, that's where the light shines best. Yeah. 
especially college campuses. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even kidding. Well, York, we really appreciate your time and encouraging us and also teaching us. I know I, I, I'm excited to kind of take some of this home and really find out how Tori and I can can encourage some college A students, yeah. you know, and, and get involved with other ministries. But we would love to hear some more about what you got going on with the coalition and InterVarsity and everything. For your viewers, for your listeners, the, the most strategic way that we're asking people to be involved right here, right now, is to prayer walk a campus near them. So if you go to everycampus.com, you enable your locations, it'll show you every single campus in America, whether it's been prayer walked, whether there's a campus ministry there. And so our great ambition in 2019 is to prayer walk all of these campuses. Wow. Starting in 2020, however, our ambition is to launch new gospel ministries on every single college campus in America. It's about 60% of campuses have nothing. No Baptist mm -hmm. Collegiate Ministry, no Young Life, no Chi Alpha. They have nothing. No Bible study, no prayer group. So think about your story, Chad. Think about having no Christian in your life having no access to the Bible at that, at that library where you, prayed that, you know, where you prayed that prayer and cried those tears. That's the reality for millions of college students. They have no access to the gospel. And we know that most people in America come to faith by the age of 18, which means that once you're in college, you're already on the back, the, on the back nine, right? And so we are ministering in a field that's incredibly open. Never before have we seen as much spiritual fruit we're seeing incredible unity amongst the campus ministries, and yet we have millions of students who have no, no access to the gospel. And so that's probably the biggest ask is, will you prayer walk a campus near you? Will you consider starting a Bible study, getting your church involved on a campus, serving the unreached students? Everybody thinks about the big campuses, the greatest campuses like the University of Michigan. Uh, we even think about Ohio State, you know, uh, but, it's oftentimes those campuses that are just down the road from our local church where we forget and there's no gospel witness. And so that's our, our great ambition through this coalition. Robbie Zacharias is involved. National Day of Prayer is involved. We have a coalition that expresses unity like we've never seen before for this opportunity to press into revival in our time. Wow, York. Well, I know Tori and I really appreciate you taking time to encourage us, encourage our audience, and let us know what, what's happening, especially with this big coalition and the, and the revival. I know prayer walks are something that we want to introduce mm -hmm. into our life a lot more. For Some sure. of our friends have even started practicing it and, and walking around the Screen Actors Guild. Um, mm. Right around the time the Harvey Weinstein things popped out. So just throwing that out there. But mm. I just want to encourage the audience right now that, yeah. you know, the question that he asked that gentleman outside that building, he said, why are you here? You know, God asked us the same thing. He asked it to, to Adam and Eve. He said, where are you? And he asked it, I think, to Elijah. He says, why are you here? And I, I would encourage you to ask yourself that question because God knows the answer, but do you know the answer? Are you thinking about the reasons why you're here? Do you, are you walking in your purpose? Are you walking out the purpose God has for you? And I think it's just great questions to consider to really maybe ignite that flame if you're wondering how to get that going. And uh, a way that I think would be great to ignite a flame is just to start serving people. Find people to start serving and remind yourself your place here on earth is he, he came not to be served, but to serve. And yeah. so if you want to walk in Jesus' footsteps, you need to serve. So thank you guys for enjoying this. I hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we love you guys. We thank you for tuning in, for listening, for watching. We thank you once again for all of your wisdom and for everything you're doing to build the kingdom and build people. And um, 
yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. You're we'll so see you on the next one. so much better than I am. I love you. <laughs> I love you. We love y'all. Bye. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>